Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. It's not a real show. I have no headphones on. Well, we skipped the part about Lee altogether, and you've just become honest. Well, because Lee's not on the show, I don't have to have the headphones on to hear Lee. Therefore, it's not a real show. So, no headphones, no show. That sounds like a really odd protest that no one's going to get. Okay. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Dude, if you'd like, you can put on headphones. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put them on right now. Placebo headphones. People Do can't it. see. I'm gonna make He's doing it. Foley. Foley. There you go. Feel yeah, good? Long. Feel better? <laughs> Feels great. It was a swaddled in the <laughs> yeah. officialness of it. Yeah. I like to call them ear goggles. That's just uh, my own personal invention. Sure. sure. Maybe it'll catch on. You got the patent. Doing what we can. Uh, we this, are... is, this is how insane I am. I actually would rather just record it this way. Yeah, the, he, he is, just for the hopelister, Glenn is currently wearing headphones that are plugged into nothing. <laughs> if anything, they are hindering his ability to hear his co-host on the show. That's right. Glenn, you do what works for you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to keep wearing these headphones so I can speak at a good volume. Excellent. That's very, very good. It's like podcasting with ankle weights on. It just makes you stronger. <laughs> That's how I look at it. We are not joined by regular co-hosts. One of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger, he is currently on special assignments at Young Life's Carolina Points mm-hmm. with the youth there. Sounds fancy. Indeed. Uh, before we get into the show, we got questions. we got a lot of great stuff. We have emergency follow-up. Really? Oh. So last week, if you listened, and if this is your first show, I'd say it's not like this all the time, but it is. Get out now. No yeah. one will blame you. Um, we talked about the idea of a, a CCM-themed restaurant. Oh, yeah. yeah. What that might have, what that might you know entail. We had many puns, many ideas for name establishments and dishes uh, from uh, superfan Ben. Uh, mm. I believe this was uh, passed on through Jed. He and uh, his friend Russ had some, some uh, additional suggestions, which I believe are uh, of a high enough quality. They... Third oh, to be shared on the show. These we are have, podcast worthy. Yes, yes. absolutely. I, okay. I believe that one. We have uh, the, we have three suggestions. Uh, I'm not sure if Ben did this in in uh, on purpose, but in my estimation, they are sent in in increasing order of quality. Okay. Okay. So we start off with very good, and I kind of can't believe we missed this one. DC Taco. Oh, that's Whoa. very good. Well, that's, yeah. yes. that's pretty pretty darn good, right there. Yeah. We then move up to uh, you know Chicago, a lot of hot dog places. Dog is in control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe dog is my co-pilot yeah. either like way that. those okay. are all up in there yeah yeah and then we have uh let me go ahead and say it strongly my personal favorite based on a petra song for those who remember that beyond beef <laughs> whoa whoa is that the vegetarian option I, the, I, that's the uh, thing restaurant? i can't figure out if it is the vegetarian option or if it's like the Brazilian steakhouse option ah. where it's only cuts of meat. <laughs> and if you ask for a vegetable, they try to skewer you with a sword of some kind. Uh, uh, ben, thank you. That's yes. fantastic. We are Excellent delighted. work. And uh, that does transition us into one more meat related thing. Oh. But it's important. Because, you know, here on the Say That Podcast, we, our, our main goal, as we talk about a lot, is uh, international relations. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we do the advice stuff. We do, uh, some would purport to say we do comedy. That's really up in the air. But our, the, the true goal is 
bringing together all people of all nations absolutely as one and I profiting think, off that i well yeah and i think we do a great job at uh you know, sowing seeds of harmony and unity yeah. and togetherness around the globe. Absolutely. So some can... of that's through pointing out what's wrong with them. Sure. I can't believe the UN <laughs> hasn't uh, contacted us for just that. Do you just list what's wrong with them? Maybe they'll fix it. Yeah. yeah. So one of our longest ongoing international beefs, so to speak, is with the nation of Canada. Mm. Yeah. And uh, they're lying ways. That's right. That's right. And Glenn, I believe in this past couple of weeks, We've had a breakthrough. Well, it is. It's a breakthrough. Uh, it, this is uh, what you call breaking news okay. of uh, international relations. Uh, really, uh, to use a Canadian word, thawing. Mm. Oh. Uh, between our two, the, the great conflict. Yes. Of the, the, the constant strife and, and grating conflict between us and our uh, neighbors to the north. Yes. And that is over the term Canadian bacon. Yeah. Hmm. Which, as you know, is not bacon. No. No. It's ham. Yeah. It's ham. There's nothing wrong with ham. You didn't need to rename ham. You did not need to rename ham. And here's what it is. If you tell people bacon's coming. Yeah. I'm going to put bacon on this pizza. I think, oh, it's an amazing idea. You know what? There better be bacon on that pizza. Yeah. So this is like a fundamental human right yeah. that we're talking about here. And, yeah. and it, you know, this is one of those things of, you know, this cannot stand. Yeah. And so uh, we had a breakthrough. One of the, uh, our favorite people on the planet and this podcast super fan, Miss Sarah. Former podcast guest. Actually, yes. A former podcast guest. Uh, that's a, that's an elite distinction right there. Well, the fact that she's hung out with us and still likes us, that yeah. testifies what an amazing person she is. Absolutely. I mean, that's like uh, you, the, t- the level of tolerance of this person. It's amazing. Is, you know, it's amazing. Uh, she, uh, f- uh, for my birthday, put onto the internet uh, a picture of herself with a note where there was a final admission that Canadian bacon is not bacon. Oh, wow. And so that allowed our nations to come together. Wow. And I feel great about that. Yeah. You know, it's like... The healing uh, can begin. It's mm. it's like a VB day. Yeah. <laughs> Victory over the bacon. Yeah. That's day. good. That's good. So, uh, you know, this is like people will remember and they'll probably sure. be like parades in the future. Sure. I think it's a safe bet. Sort of a bacon-themed parade. People will bacon costumes yeah and bacon floats and stuff and you go yeah. down the sure thing. anyone they'll have little paper in indications of bacon they can clip to their lapels that's right and you, you you got the marching band they're they're they got the big drum and they're just banging it with bacon sure it's absolutely. not making a lot of noise well, it's you, really you know. just ruining the finish on that yeah but still that's it's what, in the spirit of vb day that's vb day so um, wherever you are, just go ahead and mark that calendar. Yeah. And that's when we'll have a victory over bacon day. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, that, with that bit of peace, unfortunately, uh, we have to look at the other side of things as well. Okay. In this case, that would be a Glenn's birthday meat emergency. What? what? Because we've, uh, we've done some taste tests of this show. Indeed. Yeah. Um, as Glenn mentions the, uh, the aforementioned, um, peace note. I think, fair to say, Treaty of Kinds yes. was uh, put up for his, his celebration of his birthday. Mm. Uh, so at tonight's we record, we just celebrated his birthday uh, officially Yes, at our staff meeting and dinner. And uh, Glenn was presented with many fine gifts, 
Yeah, well, you know. Many of which he <laughs> made that noise about. <laughs> and well, like I a, enjoy myself. <laughs> like a child king in a fantasy novel. Yes, exactly. That the author is trying to indicate has been ruined by the plushness of imposition. Looked at these gifts, tossed them aside, and said, okay, what else? <laughs> People don't know this, but I have a running bit with the staff on my birthday that I, I act like I just disapprove of all yep. of their gifts. And it, it's not funny to anyone but me. And it's, that's it's a gift my, you give yourself. That's my favorite humor is when I'm the only one that gets the joke. But it's intensely funny to you. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very funny. To me. Almost in direct proportion to how not funny it is to everyone else. <laughs> But here's the thing about that. Uh, this year, it was a bit jerky heavy. It was. Yeah. Now, we've experienced what we believe is the leader in the clubhouse of all cured meats. Mm. That's right. On this show, we've eaten reindeer. Yeah. Courtesy of uh, Scandinavian superfan Jacob. I'm not sure reindeer is going to get beat, but yeah. we have contenders. Indeed, we do. Yeah. When we turn it over to you. Well, we uh, Jed uh, came in strong with... A, a whole container of different jerkies. Uh, basically, if you took a zoo... <laughs> and you shouldn't. <laughs> People of both Lincoln Park and Brookfield it, who might be listening. And you, you say, salt cured it. I want to just eat this whole zoo. <laughs> De- we dehydrated a zoo. That's not a Matt far Damon movie too from, far. From what happened here? Now... You say, well, probably it's just the ugly animals. No, the adorable <laughs> ones, too. Jed said, let's kill them and yeah. uh, put them in the form of a, a a stick of meat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, so we have that. And then we have, uh, and this is very impressive to me, from the House of Jerky. Yes. Oh. A no kidding, and we're not making it up, Mako Shark. Jerky. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, courtesy of one Pete and Tasha Lawson, Pete and Tasha Lawson recently returned. It is surprised no one from Florida. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, what's the, uh, uh, the proper way to pronounce Florida? Florida. Okay. So this Judge is from there. He can make that joke. Yep. <laughs> I am Florida, man. <laughs> so we're going to have some Florida jerky. Yes, we are. From, from a shark. Uh, now, as I open this, I will uh, point out because I'm cool. Yeah, I listen to golf podcasts. Oh, oh! And one of the more popular golf podcasts nearly had to. Is it just the sound of the ball making contact for an hour? That's mostly <laughs> it. You know, ting. Ooh, that was a good one. Try again. Ting. I didn't really get a hold of that it's one. Like famous golfers, they bring them on like. What are you trying to do? Well, I try and just like put the ball in the hole. I'm like, oh. I hit it really, really far. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's what they nearly had to shut it down because one of the guests ate something on one of the <laughs> things and they were like so disgusted. Really? Yeah. People were like, I can't watch this anymore or listen to this anymore because of the. What did he eat? I don't know, like a, like a biscuit or something, but. Oh, well. It was. It was I was bad. aware there was an anti biscuit lobby, and so, I, but I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take a piece of the Mako uh, Shark. House of Mako Jerky. Shark. Mako Shark. And try not to drop it in my lap. Right. It's got floor flavor now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we're all going to check the air. it out. The one time we're doing this, the only regret is we don't get to taunt Lee with the fact you know, that he doesn't get any. I don't know if you guys did this 
but I smelled mine before I put it in my yeah, mouth. Shouldn't have done that. That was a big mistake. Because it smells a lot like fish. Yeah. Flavor's good though. No, pretty good. I like the flavor a lot. Like a salmon, but they've cured it obviously with salt, but also I think there's like some brown sugar in there. Yeah. Nice sweetness to it. I like that I feel you can taste all the things it killed. <laughs> I really yeah. You can taste the menace. Uh, it feels like it would like to be eating me. Yeah, but I'm eating it. Yeah, there was yeah. we had the shark. There was also some uh, gator jerky, which we pointed out. There's a certain joy to eating something that, if given the chance, would eat you. Well, we have some other um, other animals that we would like to eat live on the air. <laughs> I don't think this podcast is ever going to get that PETA endorsement we've been swinging for all these years, dude. Um, that's seriously pretty darn good. Yeah, I like it. Um. I have because we I had to search through this entire box of like twenty different kinds of animal to find one that I had not already eaten. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happens when you get someone from Texas. Uh, but I found the antelope. Oh, uh, a jerky, sort of a a, a more uh, temperate version mm. of the reindeer. Oh, we'll see <laughs> if we'll see how it compares. I don't, I don't know how to get antelope. Now, the, the antelope is probably not going to try and eat you. I mean, uh-huh. that's not really what they're known for. But it could trample you. Oh, that's oh, good. Oh, yeah. It could, it, could, it could gore you. Totally. Don't be fooled, Jimmy. If that cow got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you love. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to Bovine University. Yes, Glenn has now produced a knife. None of us knew he was carrying. <laughs> he was at the county jail earlier this week, earlier today. Did that knife go with him? Well, some of us will never know. I mentioned earlier that I am from Texas. Yeah. And if you're from Texas, you've got a a pocket knife on you at all times that's a little bit too large to be comfortable to other people. That's true. If you know someone from Texas, just go up to them after above nothing and ask, hey, where's your knife? <laughs> Thanks, sir. We're uh, trying not to get injured taking things off a knife live on air. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you at home, instead of handing Jed Nyer bits of jerky, Glenn insisted on spearing them with the edge of his knife and then pointing said knife at us. Jed is taking in the aroma, the bouquet. It's, it's actually very nice. Glenn is doing whatever the opposite of taking in the bouquet is. That's why Glenn isn't welcome at wine tastings. He makes that same noise. <laughs> I like to just dive in there, you know, all that sniffing and, you know. This is what a Slim Jim always wanted to be. Yeah. Oh, that's, yes. that's right. This is like a grown-up Slim Jim. That's very good. I think that's surprisingly good. Yeah. 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 It's, the taste is great. The flavor is very good. Um, I think in our final estimation, we must uh, we must uh, weigh in that uh, there was more reindeer sausage. Yeah. And that came from reindeer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, just the 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 Christmas season reindeer. I I think that's just gonna gonna be impossible to beat. It reigns supreme. Although Two strong contenders, but we still have a reigning champion. Well, we there has been several times a threat of a kangaroo. I think I have a lead on oh, kangaroo yeah? jerky. Okay, is this something we should be discussing in a uh, recorded medium? I'm just saying. That gets beamed to Australia. You're saying you've got a guy. He's down by the docks. Go on. I'm I'm working on it. I don't okay. I don't have everything locked down yet. But okay. I I think uh, I think there may be some kanga jerky in our future. 
I think, uh, you know, because we need to to get all the continents. That's right. Covered. That's right. This. I mean, uh, you know, I think this is probably an African uh, species of antelope. Sure. Here. Sure. Don't from have proof the, of nothing. From that. the picture on the thing. So, you know, we've, we've got Buffalo that. Bob wouldn't lie to you. No. Yeah. So this cer- all these different kinds of jerky aren't certainly the same animal. <laughs> I don't even know why you just suggested that. That couldn't possibly be true. Uh, but yeah, I think we, we've had, uh, you know, the, you know, Northern European, uh, reindeer, you know, Scandinavian, whatever we've had, yeah. we've had, but really Australia and New Zealand need to weigh in. Yeah. I mean, we're saying kangaroo. We'd settle for koala jerky. I would eat a koala right now. <laughs> I didn't mention I would, the jerky of it, which is disturbing. Look, I'd eat a baked koala now. You cook that thing up. It's not fried. He's watching what he eats. <laughs> a nice little lemon drizzle on it. That's right. A nice glaze on a baked koala. On a bed of eucalyptus just for added irony. Yeah. Dang, dude. My mouth is watering right now. All right. Well, before we get uh, the... Australian Department of Agriculture involved. I'm going to go ahead and declare emergency off. That's a good call. We may never be the best Christian podcast. We may never be the most popular Christian podcast, but we are the one most likely to be arraigned for importing (laughs) illegal flora and fauna. Uh, Yes. One thing we're also the most likely Christian podcast to do is release Bridgebox. Yeah. Because if another Christian Dang. podcast tried to do it, we'd sue the pants off them. And how? Yeah. We're don't entering think about it. the month of July, which is a great time to jump on Bridgebox. This is our summer mixtape edition. Oh, yeah. Of five original brand new songs for you in Bridgebox. Sign up. Only $8 a month. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox and get involved. All right. We're going to jump to our first question here. Hang all this all the way to the end. I'll use some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the links there. First question comes in anonymously and it says, have you ever been in a time where you feel like you're not making an impact in the advancement of God's kingdom? Like you're stuck or like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's where I'm at right now. I'm questioning the place and role God put me in. I've been comparing where I was this time last year, and I feel like I was more productive then. I feel like I'm not where God wants me to be. How do I move forward from this? And it's a fantastic question. And Glenn, where do we start off? Well, here's the thing that I want us to to kind of relieve the pressure of this, because I think a lot of people feel this. You know, I wish I'm doing a little bit here and there, but I wish I was doing more. I wish it was more, felt like it's having a bigger impact, it's a bigger deal and all that. And uh, I think that's a good thing to want. It's good to want to make a, a big impact. It's a good thing to feel like, okay, you know, I want to be fully invested in this process. I want to take it to the next level. All of that. I, I think all of that is good. Here's the part that we, um, I think, struggle with and, and need to get past. If we start with you and what you want to do, and say, we're going to start with just your selfish, craving desires of what you want to do for the kingdom. And move towards what God wants for you to do. And we took another individual and said, okay, don't do anything until you're 100% sure that it's exactly what God wants you to do. You would get there before that person gets there. No doubt. That's the. It doesn't sound right, but if you start with whatever is on your heart, 
you're probably going to be in the neighborhood of what it is that God wants for you to do. Yep. And that may be part of why it's on your heart. Now, you might be, um, you, you might really discover that only one sliver of that thing that you're, you're, that's on your heart is really going to be something that he's going to have you do on a more long-term type basis. But you kind of have to start there to get that sliver anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, so the, the right thing is let's start with what passions drive you, what you're interested in. If you don't have any ministry you can think of of any kind that you would want to do or that you think you'd be good at, let's start with what your hobbies are, things you already enjoy doing. Can we find a way to do that same thing? If you're into art, can I go uh, uh, to an, uh, uh, a, a rehab facility? Uh, can I go to a juvenile uh, prison lockup facility, old folks' home, hospital ward, any of those kind of places? Do some art, do some art therapy with them. Uh, go in there, give them a smile, give them a word of encouragement. Say, hey, would it be all right if I prayed for you? You know, just I, 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 I know you're going through a thing here, and I want to be there for you that kind of thing, you are going to get more ministry done than most pastors I know if yep. you do that. Yep. Uh, I was talking with uh, some of our people uh, 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 this past week, and I was talking about our van drivers. So in order to get people to our services, we have vans that go and pick people up. In many cases, that's uh, two or three trips, you know, because we, you know, we can't fit everyone in that wants to come. And uh, I was explaining those van drivers have the people in the vans for longer than our pastors preach during the service. Mm-hmm. So they can get more ministry done driving the van than the guy on the mic who's preaching that sermon for the day. So a lot of this is in how you look at it, and it's it's having something that looks small to you that actually is big down the line. Here's why I think people miss that. Part of it is they feel funny of just starting with their own interests, but part of it is this mentality of I want to start at A plus mm-hmm. and maintain my GPA the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. This is what you need to know about ministry. You start sucking beyond all comprehension and cl- totally clueless, totally in over your head. And then you learn something and you figure something out and then you do that again. And then you make another mistake and you figure it out and then you do that. And layer by layer by layer by layer, you get better and better and better and better. Over a period of years, and in my case, decades, you continue to improve and to grow, and you get it gets better if you learn with, through that process all the way along. And that's the way God intends for that to be. That's the way, the way it should be. The mentality of, I'm going to skip all of that by just sitting in a room and having pure holy revelation hit my brain of what God wants me to do, and I'm going to go out to do that, it's just not, it just, that's, the, there's no physical way for that to happen. Experience is going to be your best teacher in that, and it's an essential part of the process. So let's have a mentality of, I'm going to start small, and I'm going to start right away, mm-hmm. and I'm going to get, go at that with gusto and a passion, and I'm going to, Look at what I've done and review that and and learn from that. See what I can do to in, improve that. So I'm not waiting for perfect conditions. I'm not waiting for somebody to come along and invite me to do something. I'm not waiting for somebody to give me permission to do something. I'm not waiting for all the planets to align. I'm not waiting for the committee at the church to figure out the thing, the get whatever, whatever. 
I hear a lot of that. You know, we, we, the, I propose this idea to my church, and they all are dragging their feet, and then nobody knows what it is. If God's put it on your heart, you go get, get out there and start that ball rolling. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be just a little small thing, and a little test balloon you're doing, and sort of an isolated thing. And we do a lot to that in the ministry we're doing. We, we'll do a little sandbox version, a little test, a mock-up version of what we want to do. We do that on a small scale, so we're prepared to do it on a larger scale. Those kind of things, you can get that ball rolling right away, and I encourage you to do that. Let's not wait for other people to give us that permission. We have to give ourselves that permission. That's a fantastic point. And Jed, one thing I'd love for you to pick up there is there's a phrase in the there's a sentence in the question I think is very important here. When they say, "I'm comparing what where I was this time last year, and I feel like I was more productive then," mm-hmm. which is a perfectly valid concept and valid idea. But the two things about that are productive can have a lot of meanings. Yep. And I'm not sure feeling is the best way to gauge what it is. Sure, absolutely. Well, we're really glad that you wrote in. I, I think, you know, the truth is almost anybody who wants to serve the Lord has felt the way that you feel, um, yep. you know, or some variant on there. The, the word that we use, uh, you say, you talk about being productive. The word that we use around here similarly is impact. You know, we want to have a deep impact on things. And so the question is, how are you measuring impact? Or to use your word, how are you measuring that sense of productivity? And it's really important to actually dig into that and figure that out because going by feel works for some things, but measuring impact is not one of them, um, like at all at all. Uh, You know, there's other areas of life that are like that. Um, You know, if you... um, uh, if you drive a stick shift at a certain point, you learn to shift by feel, but you actually shouldn't try and determine how fast you're going by feel because most people are super bad at that. Um, it, it, I, I worked in engineering years and years ago and worked on some automotive electronics and actually a lot of time people get pulled over for speeding. They have no idea how fast they're going that, and that's, and that's why this happens. So there, there's some things that we can do by feel, but there's others that we really can't. And I think that trying to evaluate the level of impact that you're having is definitely one of those that falls in the column of, it's really hard to do that by feel. It's also worth noting, just so you know, the devil's going to mess with that as hard as he possibly can. Um, the, yeah, and you're gonna, not going to see that till down the line anyway. Exactly right. The The perception of how well this is or isn't going is one of the easiest things for the devil to mess with. So uh, all the more reason to not let that be a feel-driven thing. So I think one of the things that's important is to find people, whether they're local or people you know through the internet or whatever, but people who have been doing the kind of stuff that you're doing, but they've been doing it a really long time, and pick their brain on how do you measure impact? How do you measure effectiveness? You know, how do you... How do you just on a baseline have a sense that things are working, um, that, that there's something happening here? Because those are good questions to ask. They're, they're worth having answers to. But the answers are going to vary a little bit depending on what you're doing. Um, you know, trying to figure out what effectiveness is for a vacation Bible school is a little bit different from effectiveness for a jail chapel service. Um, you would you would measure these in slightly different ways. But if you talk to someone who's been doing VBS for the last 25 years, they probably have some pretty cool ideas on how you measure that and, and how you, you look at that. And the thing is, we want you to have peace. Um, it, it may be that you're totally spinning your wheels. It, it's, it's possible. But here's the thing. If that is the case, it's better to know that so you can regroup and figure out what's going wrong. 
I doubt that's actually the case. I think you're probably having significantly more impact than you, you think you are. But either way, you'd be better served to know what you're looking at so that you can respond accordingly. You know, this is one of those where if this lurks in the dark, it's just not good for you, for your emotional, your mental health. The other thing that I would really encourage you, uh, it goes right along with this to look at, is who are you listening to as you're trying to navigate all this? Um, this is not to knock local church pastors, but if you go to most local church pastors, you say, I want to serve. What do you got for me? Uh, nothing. Yeah. Children's ministry. Well, this is the thing is you'll get a lot of weird responses and, and we're actually going to run through what you're likely to hear in just a second. What you all, what you would very, very rarely get is an invitation. Why don't we sit down and get to know one another? I want to get a sense of your strengths and your weaknesses and your calling and your giftedness, and we can really find the right thing for you. That's what you'd like to see happen. If that happens when you talk to a local church pastor, you are truly blessed because that is insanely, insanely rare. Again, this is not to beat up on local church pastors, but I think most people have a sense, if I want to serve, that would be step one. I will go to pastor and say, what do you got for me? But here's what you're likely to get. The first is just, I, I got nothing. I don't, I don't know. That, that actually happens a lot. Some vary on, on, I've got nothing and I don't know. Second is a super pat answer where um, children's ministry or greeting. That, that, you know, if you are a lady, children's ministry, if you're a male, greeting. That's, that's what we want you to do. Um, the next is they've got a thing that they're really excited about that they just want cheap labor for. So, you know, we, we've got the new, we want people to catch the vision. And so we want you to be a part of the thing with, it has nothing to do with you, your, your giftedness, what God's calling you to do. It's just the, the church is doing a thing and we want you to do that. Th- those are kind of the three things that are most likely to, to occur. But I think given that we need to be more selective on who is giving input. Um, as we're trying to to figure all this out. Glenn suggested, and very rightly so, start with something. Um, if you have a basic sense of, I'd like to, you know, we mentioned VBS, let's go with that. You know, I just, I care about kids and I think VBS is cool and I don't know if it's really what I'm called to or not, but I'm just, I'm going to do that. Okay, step one, like Glenn said, start doing that today. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It doesn't have to be 80 hours a week, but I'm going to start getting involved. Um, you know, Children's Fellowship does a lot of really cool stuff. They, they help a lot of people. There's a local chapter. I'm, I'm going to do that. See where that guides you. But then one of the things is, as you start doing that, talk to the people there. Talk to the people that are running that VBS or that Children's Fellowship and, see, and, and ask, you know, what do you see in me? What are the things that I'm good at? What are the things where I need work? What are the things that feel like a natural extension for me? What are the things that, that don't you know, quite seem like they're a, a good fit for me? Because those people are going to have watched you do stuff. Um, one of the problems with asking pastor what you should do is he's never really seen you do anything. Um, even if he wanted to be really insightful, he doesn't, in most cases anyway, he doesn't really know you and he definitely doesn't, hasn't seen you do anything. But if you go and you do stuff and, and then you ask those people who again, have a bit more applied focus, you know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Where should I go? I think you're going to get much, much better information. And if you combine that sense of better information and a better sense of how to measure impact, I think you're gonna have a lot more peace, which is the thing we want for you. It absolutely is. That is all really, really great stuff. Um, I would just piggyback on what both these guys have said to close out here by pointing out that, um, as Jed said, um, everyone who serves the Lord particularly has done it professionally for any amount of time has felt exactly how you feel. The other thing that people have been doing this for a minute, like the people you hear on this podcast, can tell you is that there's a big gulf between 
when we felt like we were being the most productive and when we felt like we were doing the most of what God was calling us to do in that time, yeah, you'd assume that those are like the same thing. Like as kind of as, as Glenn was saying with the, you know, you assume if I, I will get there faster by figuring out the exact ABCs and PDQs of my calling and then doing that as opposed to kind of drifting into it, which is counterintuitively far more effective. The thing about that is people assume when I'm, most following the Lord and most have this lined out is when I will be bearing the most fruit, which is sometimes happens. Sometimes the times when we really have to dig in and follow the Lord or when we're in more of a, what we would consider a, uh, a tilling the soil and yeah. planting the seed phase. Yeah. So to say, um, I mean, I don't, obviously don't know the specific situation. You said, I looked back last year and it feels like I was just being way more productive and you whatever that means. Say I was a youth volunteer and I was just talking to kids like crazy and, you know, X number came to know the Lord and they were growing. That's all fantastic stuff. But if it's something along the lines of, and then they graduated and now I got freshmen and like, I kind of know their names and like once a month I can get one of them to go like get ice cream. But all we talk about is like TV and it doesn't really feel like anything. It doesn't mean you're doing what God's calling you to do any less. It means that this working for the kingdom is something that definitely has cycles and ups mm-hmm. and downs. So I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's what's going on in your situation, but I know it's something that goes on a lot. If we look at kind of in, as Jed was talking about, of you know, thinking about what we're measuring and where we're measuring it. If we're only measuring by end results, then you might get really confusing feedback as about, as about how well you're doing. So if that's what's going on, if you're one of those periods where it's, it's a little dry and you feel like you may not, be you know as as acing it as you were in previous. It's 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 another great thing. So as I mentioned, I'll talk to a pastor, a ministry leader, someone online you feel comfortable with, just to get some details of okay, you feel like you're less productive, but what are, what's has anything else changed in that last year about you, about the people you work with, about these organizations? I mean, we've gone through times uh, at the bridge where uh, because we work with uh, like residential drug rehabs, our numbers have been down because their numbers are down. And like some of them are shutting down and stuff, which can be a bummer. But if we, when we stop and look at it and realize, you know, we're still got a room full of people. We're doing good work with the ones who come, which is important. It's all sustainable. That starts to look a lot better when you look at uh, factors other than just raw. What's the end result of this look like? All right, we're going to move on to our next question here. comes in anonymously and it says, I have a friend who wants my help with a problem. My problem is that I don't know how to help them. Their situation is complicated. Without getting into details, it has legal aspects. I want to do what I can to help my friend, but I feel like I'm in over my head. And a, another fantastic question. I, I'm, I was excited to talk about this one on the show because I feel like we often get questions of, I, my friend should want help, or I want to help my friend and they don't want it. And this can be just as frustrating a situation to say, okay, they... I got that magic thing as a bit like we were talking about the pastor thing earlier. We were hearing a friend about uh, hearing a story from a friend of ours who goes to a church recently who had gone up to their pastor and said, you know what? I just decided this Sunday I want to get more involved. What should I do? And the exact answer was, I have no idea what to tell you. And that moment of you got to be prepared for what happens when you get the answer you want. Yeah. So if you go around, we, we've all had that experience. All the, you know, you, suddenly you got to turn yourself around. They go, okay, what should I do? And there's that moment of panic of, oh crap, I never prepared for this part. <laughs> so Jed, when we get that, somebody who wants help, that can often 
be complicated. So sure. that's help. We're not ready to fully provide. What can we do? Man, that's a great question. Well, so let's talk about something that I think can be a full on superpower in your life that literally anybody can develop if they decide to. And the superpower is I'm going to find people who know the answers and then I'm going to go talk to them. Now, that doesn't sound like much. Let me say it again. I'm going to find people who know the answers, and then I'm going to go talk to them. And that's what we do. That's what we do. It doesn't sound like much, except almost no one is willing to do that. If you will be willing to do that, and it takes some humility and it takes some courage, if you will be willing to do that, man, you can change the world. It's, it's unbelievable. So uh, here's what you want to do is find experts and then get their expert advice. That's that's the thing you want to do. One of the things that's really worth noting that we have this weird idea about in our culture is like smart people are just smart about everything. So it's just like you could be good at everything and smart about everything. There's no such thing as that. I, I, mean, I walked into my lawyer's office and asked what was wrong with my lungs. He's a smart guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the nature of expertise is that to acquire it, you have to spend a ton of time. So it becomes a kind of exclusionary in a sense to be an expert at one thing almost means you can't be an expert in a bunch of other things because otherwise you wouldn't have any expertise. So we want to find whatever the area you mentioned, legal stuff. We want to find a legal expert and get expert legal advice from them. That's, that's the thing that we want to do. And so it's no problem to say to your friend. And, and again, this is something that we say to people all the time. I don't know the answers, but I can help you find someone who does. And we can go through that journey together. And people in general are super grateful for that because again, it is, both a scary and kind of uh, humbling, if nothing else, thing to have to admit, I don't know the answers and I don't know where to begin and this all feels overwhelming. So here's here's where I think in general we can begin, particularly if you're new to that process of, I'm going to find experts and I'm going to get expert advice from them. When in doubt, just start getting referrals. So go to the people that you already know who might know something. They might know a lawyer. Go to the people that you already know and say, do you know anyone who practices law? Do you, anybody that you've dealt with that you can vouch for in any way? Now, what might happen actually be pretty common in this kind of thing is, well, I, you know, when, you know, I went that real rough divorce a couple of years ago, I mean, I know a divorce attorney and, and, you know, she's great. She's super smart. I don't know if she really does the kind of law that you need for this other thing. That's no problem. Talk to the divorce attorney and say, who do you know that practices criminal defense law? Because that's the thing. Almost guaranteed she knows somebody that she can vouch for and say, Jim Bob's a real smart dude. He knows, tell him I sent you. At the very least, he'd be happy to do a consultation with you. It'd be great. This is what we do all the time in in countless areas of life. But a few things on that, just from from experience that I would offer to you. The first is um, almost no one ever minds giving you a referral. Um, right. I mean, like ever, no, no one has ever bothered for you to ask for a referral. And, and the gal that practices divorce law is not going to be offended that you wouldn't want her to be the criminal defense lawyer. It's, it's not like that. She, you know, the second is there are far more people who want to help than you would think you, but you do have to ask for it. That's, that's the, the, the weird thing in life is at least in my experience, and I think I can speak for, for our team here, there's a lot of people who would feel privileged to get to offer their help, particularly because um, if you've got a situation that involves some real injustice, which I'm guessing might be the case, and some real problems, and, and it's you know a struggle of good versus evil, people don't get to do that kind of stuff very often. The idea that I could take my expertise and my skill and I could use it to actually make somebody's life better 
people are kind of hungry for that opportunity. They, they really a lot more than you would think they are. So people want to help. I think they're, they're hungry for the opportunity, but you got to find them and you got to talk to them. And that comes back to having the humility and the courage to find the experts and get that expert advice and be willing to walk that journey with your friend. I think it's a fantastic place to start off. That is, uh, as Jed points out, that's absolutely what we do. We have um, a very narrow kind of uh, lane of expertise and the things we do. Uh, we just also happen to know a lot of people have their own narrow lanes. It turns out if you know enough of those people, you can kind of cover everything. Yeah. And uh, to the person who needs the help, they rarely do they mind going one step, uh, kind of one degree of Kevin Bacon on that. If you say, well, I need a job. And say, well, we don't do jobs, but we can give you a referral to the good job placement center. It's almost no one has ever said, no, 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 uh, you give me a job. I don't go <laughs> over there. I'm not going to some second place like a chump. Uh, so glad again that I think Jed nailed what the piece of advice we, we need to do. That's kind of the only action that makes sense. My question is, what are we doing in the meantime? If yeah. We have a friend who needs the help. We can't provide it where we're going to get them the counseling or the legal mm. help or whatever. What are we doing in that time to, that really is making an impact? Well, for us, that's the ministry part, the spiritual oh. part. And uh, in this case, if you're helping somebody who's in crisis, uh, that's going to be doing a lot of listening. Yeah. Uh, that again, that's the kind of stuff that we would do. Um, you know, let's talk this out. Let's look at this from every angle. You know, tell me all the details on this. You know, we're going to be sitting in this guy's office waiting for this appointment anyway. You know, or driving across town to to talk to this other guy. So we've got nothing but time. You know, tell me about this and let's explore. Uh, so there's a, a a lot of listening, a lot of giving encouragement, a lot of letting this person know they're not going to fall between the cracks, a lot of those kinds of things. Uh, but it's about staying in your lane. Uh, that's the mentality that uh, that we have to cultivate within ourselves. Yep. Uh, we do the spiritual part. That's our. That's what we're contributing here. Uh, it, legal stuff is not in your lane. Yep. You don't know legal stuff, so don't try and do anything with legal stuff. <laughs> don't be an armchair attorney. Yeah, that's a really bad idea. Just sit next to him, hey, hey, I'd object right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's, I know there are certain people uh, in the world, and you may be one of them, that really feels a visceral pain in their body to say the phrase, I don't know. Yeah, but you don't. Uh, you don't. So and you'll be set free by the being comfortable saying, I don't know. Uh, but that means uh, finding a lawyer that can help you in, in the way that Jed was pointing out. And then saying, you listen to this lawyer. Do not listen to me. Do not listen to your crazy friends. Don't listen to you know somebody on TV. You're paying this person to help you. He's giving you the best or she is giving you the best advice that is possible on your legal situation. You go by what they tell you. I'm not going to comment on that one little bit. That's not my lane. That's not my department. I'm on the spiritual part of this problem. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the spiritual element of this is uh, seek out good wisdom and go by it. That's what you're doing. You've got that good wisdom. Go by it. That's my, that's my spiritual advice to you. Uh, but that then uh, can apply to all sorts of different areas. If you're this this person needs job training, if they whatever it is, it's recognizing I'm not a job workplace person. I'm not all these other kind of experts. I'm sticking to my lane. 
uh, and there will be enough overlap in that. You know, there will be, uh, you know, uh, the, I need to keep this job and I'm starting to lose my job because I have a bad attitude. Well, we can work on attitude because that's, you're going to be affected by spiritual growth. Um, the, the, the next part of this that I want us to look at is often for me anyway, when I'm helping people with really hearing and complicated problems, the first mission I'm on is simplify this. Mm. Most people who are in a really bad crisis, here's what they're doing. They're presenting me with roughly 30 or 50,000 things wrong with it that are all setting each other off. Therefore, it's sort of impossible to sort through this. And it must be fixed in a way that answers these 27 preconditions I've set for solving this problem. Okay. First of all, let's manage expectations. We're not going to thread the needle on the perfect solution that that ticks all these crazy boxes that we have. We're also not going to uh, be able to solve all of these problems on step one. But what we are going to look to do is to have one solution that starts knocking out whole areas of this problem. So, for example, if I have somebody who says, I have a drug problem, I've started taking drugs, and that's led to a money problem. Uh, So I started selling drugs for a gang, and then I started taking the drugs that I was supposed to sell, so... I owe them money and they want to do violence to me because of that. And uh, they want me to do violent things for them because of that. And so they're looking for me and I'm on the run and I owe money and I'm a drug addict. Solve that. This is a pretty common thing for us. <laughs> this is like, this is Monday morning for us. Okay. This is, this is first thing we're all out of bed. This is what we got. But here's the thing. If I take that person and put him in a drug rehab in the next town over, suddenly that's solving almost all of these problems. These other guys can't see you, they can't find you, they're not, you know, they're not gonna bother you where you're at, you're in a facility where you're getting the help with the addiction that you need. Most of these facilities allow you to eventually start working and saving some money. Yep. You can take that money, you can pay those debts off to those people, you can stay away from that town from now on, and you can move on with your life. All of these things are, are, are solvable, but I, my mission is to simplify. I want to knock, I want one solution that, that, that addresses multiple different things. Uh, I think that's going to keep you from chasing down every last little thing, trying to find the perfect solution to each of them. Uh, finally, I think what we're really talking about here is cultivating a network. And I think if you want to do ministry on, in the way this first question asker is asking about, uh, for us, that involves having a network of people that you can rely on. You probably have an informal network like that in whatever church you attend. You probably have a better network of that kind of stuff on your Facebook or your Twitter or uh, Instagram. Or if you have a, a person that has a problem with a legal uh, situation, you can just put that on, on the, you know, obviously you're not going to put that person's name or their situation on there, but just say, I, I need some legal advice and I, it's sort of a delicate situation. I can't share anything, but it's sort of an emergency. Uh, this is for a friend of mine. Um, anybody out there know anything about, you know, a good pro bono attorney or just somebody who could talk with us and just help us and give us a point us in a direction that kind of thing. I'll bet you in a couple of steps, you're going to find what you're looking for. Yep. You know, for us, 
that might be a four or five call finagle to figure out who we need to be talking to. But once you talk to that person and you really cultivate that relationship, then it's a one phone call uh, problem the next time you're, you're addressing it because you call your buddy that you already have dealt with. Now, part of that also is being good to the network. Yeah. So that means talking to that lawyer who might be a Christian, let's say, and he's helping his clients, but some of them have spiritual problems that he kind of can't get into because he's their lawyer. So maybe he'd like to steer them towards you to talk about the spiritual implications of this in a way that he sort of can't, and he, but he wants to because he's Christian. So he can steer them to you, and you can help him with that part and sort of bolster what he's doing as an attorney and help him to be a better attorney and help it to be a, a more Christian situation all the way around. So now you're trading those favors back and forth. Now you're helping each other out. This is what Christians should be doing. This is this is my idea of what Christianity should look like. So I think having that mentality of cultivating that network will get you feeling like, okay, I'm in this. I, I'm I'm into the uh, the body of Christ, and and I, everyone is serving their function properly. I think that's all really great stuff. It's a really good look at kind of from someone who's been doing this a long time. The we talk kind of a lot about the, the ministry that gets done in the car on yeah. the way to the thing to actually get the problem solved. That's where, that's where the ministry often happens. Um, and I would say that if, depending on what the problem is, as Jeb was saying, there are this, a lot of the times you do have to ad hoc this together in the way we're talking about, put that together. There are some problems that there's kind of ready-made networks for this. So people are dealing with, with food stuff off. We get that at the bridge who are doing food insecurity. There's some, steps that are kind of ready-made that can be a one-stop shop. Um, recently, we recently had a situation where a friend was asking us, uh, they had very uh, awesomely and kindly offered to take in a, fr a friend of theirs who was fleeing kind of an unhealthy relationship uh, that had some abusive elements to it. Um, there are the domestic violence hotline is national. It does that. And I was able to explain to them that uh, when our, our friend and coworker, Pete, someone had come up to him after as a church pastor, after a church, he was visiting, he came up to him and said, we have a problem with this lady has come to ask the, the church this morning to ask this. We don't know what to do. What do you do? Pete called the National Domestic Violence Hotline because that's the smartest thing you can do. That's And in a weird way, I, I, that story illustrates the difference between what makes a professional who handles this stuff and someone who doesn't know what they're doing is often just knowing where to make that first phone call. That's that's going to be a fleet of resources this person, which is, as Glenn's describing, frees you up to do the things you can do and, and encouragement and, you know, em empathy and really being there for the emotional part, the spiritual part. It really helps if you don't put the pressure on yourself to solve the practical problem that you don't have the tools to solve. The, and the more you can hand that off, the quicker you can hand that off. Not only is it better for your friend who's going to get actual advice towards their thing. It's better for you because it allows you to focus on the things you can do as opposed to feeling you know, overwhelmed that there's these million things that you're kind of, you, you often, when we, someone comes to us, the problem, we decide we do want to help them. We're now on team person who has a problem. Meaning as, as I was talking about, we've got 40,000 things that have kind of been dropped into our lap that we have to deal with now. And it's not a bad thing. And it's actually a very good strategy to start looking to offload those. And the closer you can get to unloading them all, offloading them all in one shot, the better you are doing when it comes to those things. All right, we got our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, 
A lot of brutal stuff happens in the Old Testament that God seems to approve of or even order. For example, wiping out people who occupied the Holy Land. What is a modern Christian to make of all that? And uh, Glenn, is very good question, and what would we say to this? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, I I was fairly recently uh, uh, doing some history reading. I'm a bit of a history nerd. And I'm reading a book about Roman history and how it has uh, Rome has this uh, reputation of being uh, warlike and known for conquering people and its brutality. They went out and did a study of all the lands that they conquered to determine what was the level of violence before the Romans came and occupied them and what was it afterwards. And it was always, generally speaking, roughly the same. These were all people all killing each other. It just happened to be a Roman guy in a Roman uniform instead of, you know, a guy from the next village over, but killing's killing. You know, that that we have these ways of parsing history where we just take a slice and we ignore all the other relevant details. And that's bad history, but it's it's also uh, bad for us developing a sense of perspective. How do we interpret these things, which is what you want to do here. Uh, so I think part of this is is recognizing uh, that you have an earth that is just raw violence at, at this time, anyway. Uh, and that's all these people all being violent to each other. So this, is, this doesn't stand out by contrast. Um, the other thing is, I, I really, I don't know how to say this, this stuff in a way that doesn't sound flip, because obviously death is bad. Uh, you know, uh, uh, armed conflict is something we all wish didn't need to happen uh, ever for any situation, and it often happens in ways that are unnecessary. So we want to make sure that we're making that clear, and that that's our viewpoint on this. And that we don't want again, we don't want to appear flip about it. <coughs> but I think it's about starting with what is death to God? What is life in this earthly context from God's perspective? Because to us, we have, I hear this a lot, um, life is beautiful, life is a gift, and they're talking about this earthly life, is what they're talking about. I don't know that God sees it that way exactly. I think he sees this person's existence as supremely precious to him. But the part of their existence that they're living here on earth is not the good part of their life. You know, it's that old saying for people who are going to heaven, earth is the only hell they'll ever know. If you're sitting in heaven now looking at people on earth, you're looking at a lot of suffering, period. And and I don't mean that just in the sense of suffering on the grand scale of, of armed conflict like you're asking about here. I mean, people getting the flu. I mean, people, I mean, experiencing suffering, that's just part of human existence. And so to be set free from that and to live in paradise, that's a gift. From that perspective, the life here on earth is a curse and it's not a a pleasant existence. Uh, Put it another way, they did, again, looking at history, uh, they did sort of these uh, historical uh, uh, big philosophical questions that they asked, would you rather be an average middle-class person in today's world or to be a king of England in the 1600s? 
who would have the better life? And you start, you know, looking at it from all the different aspects of how that would go. You know, we've got air conditioning and they didn't. And, you know, we have modern medicine and they didn't. And we you can get in the car and go to, you know, you start taking off these boxes. We can romanticize the past in certain ways. But a, an average middle-class person today has a vastly better life than that person living in the past. But we have this way of uh, um, assuming that all life has an a, a equal level of happiness, an equal level of, uh, of, of uh, everyone uh, who's being uh, killed in a war. It was an, an innocent victim of that situation and so on and so forth. These are, these are constructs that we've developed, the stories we tell ourselves, because we're not looking at it from... A, a full and broad perspective. We're not looking at it from the Lord's perspective. If the Lord intends to take this person to heaven and their life ends today, that's a blessed a victory for them. That's them leaving this world of the, the, the struggles and pains that we go through and going on to something better. Our existence here is about serving the Lord and being a witness to others, for others to meet him and encounter him and have a relationship with him. That's a purpose of our existence. But I don't think I get behind this mentality of this life we live here on earth is the most important part of our existence. It's a blink of an eye compared to the rest of the eternity that we will exist for. It is, again, not going, it's not the fun part. It's not the super nice part. Uh, we won't we won't see that it's an important part, and we have important stuff to do. And I, so I think that's more of the focus there. And then I think finally, uh, we have to look at the nature of of the the covenant here. I mean, uh, you you're right to point out that all this is Old Testament, and that's an old covenant. So when we say covenant, it's a, it's an agreement between God and man, and it's a, an agreement with a promise. In this case. Uh, God, I think the right way to look at this is we've gone through several phases of history where God has a different covenant with his people. In this case, it's uh, it's a, a covenant that pertains, as you rightly point out, to occupying the Holy Land. God says, I, I promise I will give you this uh, area, this territory, this land, and you'll occupy that, and I'll make a way for you to have an existence, and I've brought you through this experience, and so forth. Uh, we should not. Uh, we it is. We are not safe to assume that the the people who lived there were innocent people or good people or you know all of that. Uh, we don't necessarily need to sit here and say they deserve it because we don't sit in judgment of that. But we do recognize we aren't in that covenant with God today, and that's why this is different. It's not God that changes; it's the covenant that changes. And for us to recognize that. The way, as you put it, how do we, how do we, as a modern Christian, make sense of all of that? It's that it was a different age, a different covenant, a different agreement, and we see things differently now, and we see them differently uh, uh, in a right and correct way because we are no longer of, under that covenant. We're under a covenant of grace. We're we're not led by the written word. We're led by the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit agrees with the Word of God in, in, in Scripture and all of Scripture and leads us forward, gives us what we're meant to do when we have this existence. 
And when we leave this earth, we're, we're going to a much, much better place. So we don't think of this earthly existence as some form of reward. The reward is the thing that we're going towards. It's a great place to start that off and covers a lot of very important <laughs> concepts there. And Jed, um, luckily, in some ways, this is a question a lot of people over a long period of time uh-huh. have had. So there is kind of um, some conventional wisdom and the way Christians think through this. And what is that? That's a great question. So um, Glenn has already started us down that road by talking about Old Covenant versus New Covenant. So again, covenant is an agreement with a promise attached to it. The Old Covenant the old covenant is keep the rules and I'll hook you up. The new covenant is Jesus's blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. That's that's the new covenant, which is super cool. Um, the classic view of all these things is that the point of the law, and in, in many ways the point of, of the Old Testament as a whole, is it's proof that keeping the rules doesn't work, that no one can be made righteous by working really hard to follow the rules. No one can have right standing with God by working super hard to diligently keep every rule and every law. And again, that's just the classic Christian view of, of uh, this. Um, I'll add to it, as it pertains directly to your question, this is my view. Uh, you don't have to adopt it, it's just what I think. I think one of the lessons from God ordering wholesale destruction and, and you know, uh, uh, wiping people out, as you put it. The, the phrase that actually comes up in the Old Testament a lot is purge the evil from amongst you. Um, I think part of the takeaway from that is just as keeping the rules doesn't work, punishing the naughty doesn't work either. It just doesn't get us anywhere. There are there are certain human impulses that we keep coming back to that are wrong. We feel them super strongly, and they're just wrong every time. And one of those is that What's what's keeping us from a better world is that there are people we just can't be hardcore enough. If like what's what's really hurting the church right now is we can't be mean enough to sinners. If we could just find all the sinners and be super mean to them, well, we'd usher in a golden age of Christianity in America. It would be amazing. There's a lot of people who think that. I mean, it it sounds yeah. absurd as I say it out loud. But there's a lot of people who think that. And one of the takeaways, again, this is my view. You don't have to adopt it. But one of the takeaways to me from, again, wholesale destruction of people groups and purge the evil from amongst you is that doesn't work. The approach that you desperately want to take doesn't work. And the history of Israel is the proof that it doesn't work. Because we did find all the naughty people and get rid of them. I mean, with extreme prejudice, we, we did that. And then what we discovered is we're the naughty people. We're still messed up because the evil is inside of us. It's like it lives in our hearts and that's what's killing us. So we all, it's, it's a crazy idea. It's as though we need someone who can come in and transform our hearts themselves and make us new from the inside out, because otherwise there's no doing anything with any of us, and we're all screwed. Enter Jesus. That's the point. That's the takeaway. And again, I think it's actually worth reflecting on that you go to a lot of churches, man, and you hear people, man, they pound that pulpit. And they talk about, we got to be serious about sin. I mean, I 
I've heard preachers get offended that someone would take, uh, you know, a momentary lighthearted thought about something that could be construed as sinful. Um, as though me being brutal towards myself and brutal towards others and just mean and just beating up on people, hopefully, figuratively, sometimes, unfortunately, literally, that that would accomplish something, that that's what we need in order to really get to a place of holiness. And the message of the Old Testament is that doesn't work. And it never has, and it never will. People were far more hardcore than you will ever be in a million years, and it didn't work. And we were just as sinful as the people we got rid of in about five minutes is how that played out. So again, we need a savior. We need grace. We need transformation from the inside out, which is what the new covenant is. And that's why it's the really, really good news. Indeed it is. That is all fantastic stuff. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridgechicago.tumblr.com. You can scroll down into your episode description and click on the links there. We're going to take out the song this week. I want you to get your Lee Younger fix. This is from last month's edition of Bridgebox song from Lee called The King Who Serves. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast. When Lee's not really here, I don't have to do an outro. You were the first to take off a crown. It was your